Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. We're in a series of messages uh, in the gospel according to Mark, and we're looking at the life of Jesus as the servant. And in this series, uh, as Jesus the servant, we are constantly reminded uh, that we are part of an upside-down kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God functions and operates in a way that is completely different than the world that we live in. Uh, it's a reminder that our primary citizenship is as citizens of heaven. So while those who are part of this kingdom you know, are, are grasping for power, domination, wealth, and control, Jesus invites his followers to watch and then follow his example of laying down their lives. We saw this last week uh, when we looked at the chapter 8 of the book of Mark. And uh, verses 34 and 35 say this. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now, the invitation that Jesus makes is not to a life that is better, bigger, faster, stronger, at least not in the sense of how the world would define it, but it is an invitation to a life where those who call Jesus Lord and Master become the servant of all. It's a process where we're continually emptying ourselves of pride, of arrogance, of posturing, and of this position to try to get ahead. And instead, it is a call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. This is the revolution that Jesus is leading and it's being led by the meek and the humble. We're all learning as disciples, we're all learning to follow in his footsteps in this race to become the least among us. Now, this is not a lack of self-worth. Jesus isn't talking about not having any value at all. It's recognizing that our value comes and our identity comes from the Father. It comes from who we are, not what we can possess or not the level of achievement we can see in this world. Instead, in this life, we are laying down ourselves in humility and in confidence we are recognizing who we are in Christ. And it's because of that confidence I can serve anyone. I can serve anywhere. And I can serve in any way. Because I belong to him, I can be the servant of all. And so if you would join with me in prayer as we go to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look at how we can serve those who are close and who are following Jesus. We're going to begin right at Mark chapter 9, verse 1. But let's pray first. Holy Spirit, we, we take a pause, we take a moment to make sure that we're positioned to hear from you, to take a position of listening to take a posture of humility and meekness before you. 
And we would all say that we have something to learn from you today. And as we listen, Lord, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to receive what you want to speak to us. We truly are part of your upside down kingdom and it makes no sense in the world around us. And so Lord, we need to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We need true power that comes from heaven to live a life that is countercultural in this day and age. So Holy Spirit, teach us from the word, empower us to live it out, and guide us as we listen to your voice and to know more about how to become the people of God that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 9, verses 1 through 13, we are looking at serving those who are close, who are part of Jesus' inner circle. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And they, there he appeared to them, with them, Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Well, here's the focus of this encounter as it relates to servanthood is we have Jesus who is transfigured before Peter, James, and John. Uh, it's a revelation that Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is the incarnation revealed right before their eyes. This is the thing that we know theologically it is demonstrated right before them in this, on top of this mountain as Jesus is transfigured showing that he is God who is clothed in human form in the flesh. It says that his clothing became dazzling white. What a picture that must have been. The glory of God showing through the clay walls of his humanity and through the clothing that he wore so that they just see this brightness. Brighter, it says, than any bleach could cause the clothing. In other words, it wasn't just that the sun was hitting his clothing just right to make it kind of glow. 
they recognized this was a true transformation, a, a transfiguration where they saw the glory of God shining through Jesus. It was the glory of his deity, which he possessed from all of eternity with the Father. Jesus just showing forth who he truly is as God in the flesh. And he's giving them a picture of it. Yep. Peter, James, and John, what they saw of Jesus, it was, it was a new picture that they hadn't seen before. They had seen his humanity. They had seen him even do miracles in his humanity. But this picture was something new. It would solidify what they already believed about him. They had already testified. In fact, Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the one that we've been waiting for. And so they recognized already that in the flesh he was God. But this gave them the reality of that picture. They were walking, they were discipling with God incarnate, God in the flesh. And so what they believed about God, it would solidify that, but it would also prepare them to walk through the doubts they would face at, upon his crucifixion. It's the understanding that we're gaining today is really threefold. When God reveals something to us, just as in this situation, the servant Jesus, what he's revealing doesn't just have one purpose. It's not just serving one uh, purpose in our lives. There's actually three things that's happening. The first is what we discover about Jesus when we draw close is to encourage us in the here and now. That's the first thing that we need to see. This revelation that the, uh, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, what they saw in Jesus, that was to encourage them to bolster their faith and, and their understanding of who Jesus was in that moment. It's to remind us when we see or learn something new about Jesus, it's to remind us that we're still hearing, we're still discovering, we're still captured by who he is in the moment. It encourages us because it renews that first love that we have for our master, for our savior, Jesus. Have you ever had that where you discovered something in the scriptures about who Jesus is or in your own life, he reveals himself in a way that you've never seen him revealed before. Maybe it's as the healer. Maybe it says the lover of your soul. Maybe it is as the one who is all powerful. Maybe it says the meek servant. But it's in that revelation that it strengthens your faith in the moment, in your understanding of who he is. It helps you to relate to him in a new way. And so it is with Peter, James, and John. They soon saw a new picture of Jesus that solidified their belief about who Jesus was. But it also prepared them for what they were about to see. Today's revelation helps prepare you for tomorrow's trials. This is the second part of this transfiguration event that we see. It's not just about what you're going through now. It's the Holy Spirit preparing you for what's coming in your life. He is so faithful to get you ready for what you're about to face. You and I have no clue what's to come. You and I are so in the moment or even in the past. We're stuck there. We think about it. We ruminate on it. And those are not bad things. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying, though, is we have no clue really what's to come, what our, how our life will unfold. But God does. And the Holy Spirit is ready to prepare us for what's to come. 
The revealing of truth is not information just to add to a dusty library of our life, but is to become a demonstration of God's power that will sustain us through what's yet to come in our lives, through the difficult times, the trials or hardships that we are yet to face. We recall these things for our own strengthening. We look back at this moment just as Peter, James, and John would look back on this moment as they approach the most difficult time in their life, Jesus crucified. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. In fact, that's what Peter, in, in Mark chapter 10, Peter's going to remind Jesus, hey, Lord, we have given up everything to follow you. And so this was their reality is. They think about what's to come. When they come to the cross, that devotion was going to be tested heavily. At the cross where Jesus is crucified and their mind is swirling with all these doubts and why is this happening? We only saw Jesus ascending and this ministry growing. And now our rabbi, our master, our Lord, the one whom we saw transfigured is being crucified the most difficult time in their lives. And that devotion is tested when Jesus is crucified, dead, and buried. But in the midst of that, there is no doubt that in the midst of that, they're reminiscing back to this moment and they're saying, but, but I saw him transfigured. You saw him transfigured. James, John, you guys saw it too. Peter is recounting this event at his crucifixion, at his burial, they're reminding themselves, I know who he is. I don't understand the moment, but I do understand what has happened and I know who he is. And so that's what these moments are for, for you and I to recall as well. When in the midst of confusion, in the midst of doubt, to be able to say, this moment, I'm prepared for this moment because of what the Holy Spirit allowed me to see a month ago. A year ago, five years ago, what I experienced in Christ is going to help me through this moment of doubt or difficulty. The revelation that you receive is also, uh, uh, the revelation you receive about Jesus is also to encourage others. So we receive a clearer picture of Jesus so that we can share it with others at the right time. It's not just for you. It doesn't just happen that God gives us an insight that he doesn't give to others uh, and he reveals something to us, especially not just for us, but to encourage others at just the right time. Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John to see a part of him that nobody else was allowed to see, just the three of them. Up on the mountain, he takes them up and he reveals his deity before them. His glory is just right before their very eyes. But they didn't hold it just to themselves. Remember, it wasn't that Jesus says, don't share this with anybody at any time. As he's going down the hill, he actually instructs them. And they, they see what's happening. And he asks them, uh, he reminds them that they should not reveal this until he is risen from the dead. So after Christ resurrects, they're holding on to it. After he resurrects, they recount the story 
to the others to bolster their faith. This is the resurrected Jesus because we saw him transfigured before. And that's exactly why the Lord reveals to us truth. Why he reveals to us truth about himself and who he is and what he does. It's not just so that they could have juicy gossip. that they could just have inside information. It's not just something that they can set on the shelf and, and elevate themselves that they have divine insight. This was intended to encourage others in a latter time, in a, in a different time, after uh, another person, or other disciples were going through difficult times to bolster their faith as well. Not everyone gets the same amount of revelation of who Jesus is. But those who are close and wanting to draw near and wanting to know him, he invites them to the mountaintop. He invites you to the mountaintop to know him more. The revelation that you had a year ago or when you first came to Christ, two weeks ago even, is not the revelation that will carry you through all of your life. It's a foundation. It's a start. But he wants to show himself to you in divine ways, in ways that help you to see his glory, that will help sustain you and also help sustain others through trials and hardships. Those who are close and wanting to draw closer are invited to see, to understand more, because it can help them move forward. And in seeing these experiences can help others to move forward as well. Now, in this next moment, we see Jesus coming down off of the mountain, and we really carry forward the story. He's coming down off the mountain uh, with the three, Peter, James, and John, and there's a crowd that is gathered around the other disciples that they left behind. It's in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, and we see how the servant helps those whose faith is weak. Beginning at verse 14, it says, And when they came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer.
Now again, the, the picture that we're seeing, the, the, the uh, scenario that we're seeing is that Jesus along with the three disciples, they come down from the mountain and they've just experienced a revelatory moment, right? So Peter, James, and John seeing Jesus glorified. Oh, this is God in the flesh, his radiance. And so they come to literally what is a scene. It's a debacle. It's, it's kind of mayhem. as this man who has this son who's demonized and he brings him to to the other disciples who didn't go up in the mountain. The disciples couldn't help the situation. And then there's scribes who are gathered around. There are arguments that are taking place. It really is just kind of chaotic in this moment. And so here's a couple things that Jesus notes about the situation. There's a recognition that the disciples were not able to drive this demon out, this spirit. There's a recognition that the man was doubtful. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. If, right? Jesus makes note of that. If, if you could do anything, take pity on us and help. Jesus's reply is really unique. And he essentially says, it's not a question of my ability or my compassion, but it's about your belief in me. And if you believe it can be done, anything is possible for him who believes. Verse 23, Jesus flips the question from the man who says, if you just have compassion and you can do something about it. And Jesus says, wait, 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 it's not about me. But he comes alongside the man and says, it's about you. What do you believe about me? And what do you believe about my kingdom? Because if you believe me and who I am, God in the flesh, who's just revealed to three of his disciples that he's been transfigured. If you believe I am who others say I am and who I am revealing myself to you as I am, and you believe that the kingdom has come, anything is possible. Anything can happen. The man responds then, his reply is, I do believe, so help me overcome any unbelief that I have. Any questions, anything that I don't see clearly, help me overcome that. So Jesus, before the crowd, and it can become any more of a spectacle, Jesus delivers the boy and sets him free. The thing I want to highlight here is that when someone isn't healed, there are all kinds of things that come to the surface. Uh, one of the most common things is that uh, people will blame the person. So in this case, they would blame the boy or the dad. And some would say, that's what Jesus is doing. He's blaming the man. It's not a question of blame. He's bringing to the surface what this man believes about who Jesus is and how the kingdom works. And that's where we sometimes get it wrong, especially in Pentecostal or charismatic circles. We believe in healing. We believe that Jesus heals. We believe that Jesus is the healer, doing signs and wonders and the miraculous today, just as he did it before. But sometimes where we get it wrong is we exile people or accuse people of not being right with God because they don't have enough faith which can be true. A person can have a struggle with faith. And this is what we're focusing on here, that the servant comes alongside of the one who lacks faith and helps them to come and approach the question correctly. You notice that Jesus didn't just say, well, you don't have faith. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I've actually seen, and maybe you have too, that those who have gifts of healing, actually take that approach with people of, well, you just lack faith. It's not going to happen. 
Jesus does not walk away from the man, but he helps him overcome unbelief and confusion that he has about who Jesus is and how the kingdom works. It's not about blame or ridicule. It's not about even psyching ourselves up enough to be, have positive thoughts that God can do something we want. It's a belief that Jesus is who he says he is and he does what he says he is capable of doing. And it is about the kingdom truly being at hand and working itself out here on earth as it is in heaven above. So what I want to have us take away is that having belief or faith is acknowledging that Jesus is the king and that he has brought the kingdom along with its authority to earth. So I don't have to conjure up faith in the moment. I don't have to psych myself up to use modern terms. I simply recognize Jesus, you are king and your kingdom has come and it's come with authority and power from heaven to bring it to earth. And so when you say something it happens, no ands, ifs, or buts. When Jesus speaks, things happen. It's an old uh, commercial. Uh, some folks would uh, remember back to this idea that when, when somebody speaks and you really listen, uh, it, it, it causes everybody's ears to, to, to perk up of what's happening. And this is the way that it is with Jesus. When, when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to the de demons, when it comes to uh, bringing the kingdom uh, from heaven to earth, that's what happens. When Jesus speaks, it responds. And so it's not about conjuring up belief in the moment for a thing. It's believing Jesus is who he says he is and the kingdom has come in the way that he says it has come. So the last thing I want to highlight is that the obedient servant ministers to those who think uh, they are better than others. <laughs> it speaks to and serves to those who are prideful. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37 it says, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Why, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, I so appreciate this uh, record of Jesus interacting with the disciples for multiple reasons, but one of them is because here are the disciples arguing about greatness. And when you think about it, who wrote the Gospels? Real simple, clear question for those of you who have read the scriptures and understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, disciples, right? Those who are following Jesus. The disciples wrote, uh, specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote these uh, Gospels, these records. And we're reading from Mark's record of Jesus's life. And in the midst of it, he includes this account and so it's essentially Mark saying, so part of what happened when we were following Jesus is we got into an argument about who was the greatest, but we didn't want to tell Jesus because it was really humiliating. <laughs> 
Isn't this great? Isn't this a wonderful revelation uh, about the validity of the Bible, uh, about the truth of the scriptures? Who does that? Who tells on themselves in front of everybody as part of the record? Most of us would make sure that we are just seen in the most glowing of, of, of terms or that people would see us at our very best. And here it is, Mark in his record, and you see it in the other gospels as well, Mark telling on himself. So we were really pretty pathetic, <laughs> arguing about who's the greatest and we were embarrassed by it. And so Jesus though asks us and we have to confess up. This is part, just tuck this away, this is part of the authenticity of the Bible. This is why you can trust, one of the reasons you can trust what the scriptures say is because they don't cover up the ugliness of their discipleship. They put it before us for us to learn and believe in what is recorded. So the disciples were arguing about greatness and Jesus tells them in verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he doesn't just say it, but he brings a child into the circle and takes him in his arms and says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name uh, welcomes me, verse 36. And I absolutely love it because he doesn't point to a child and tell them this is what the kingdom of God is like. He doesn't uh, tell a parable about a child and help them under, uh, understand this idea. He literally places a child in the midst of the disciples and then he gathers him, this child, into his arms and he tells the, the disciples, he says, receive him and you're receiving me. And you're not only receiving me, but you're receiving the Father, the one who sent me. This is a culture where it would have been said to children, children are to be seen, but not heard, and maybe not even seen. Children are a nuisance, right? They need to be out of the way. And so children are often representative, or you would see them in the same context of the poor, the helpless, those who have no influence, they have no wealth, they have no power in themselves. Their value was only if they could work or do a task and then quickly become an adult where they can contribute to the family. And instead, Jesus gathers him into his arms and says, this is who the kingdom is like. Not the ones with power and influence, not the ones who have great ability, but simply a child. This is what the kingdom of God is like, humility, meekness, dependency upon the Father, upon uh, the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder to us that we have no influence as servants except the influence that the Father gives to us. We have no power of our own except that which the Holy Spirit bestows upon us and allows us, enables us to carry out. We are totally dependent upon Him. We are to serve the arrogant and the proud, much the same way that Jesus served the disciples. Here they are boasting about who's accomplished what and who is the greatest among the, the disciples. And here's the thing about the arrogant and proud. It's difficult to serve them because you don't want to boost their ego. So we do so, we provide service by modeling our own dependence and own humility in front of them. My natural inclination, your is in our humanity, our natural inclination is to rise up and match strength with strength. In fact, guys are great at this. You know, you get in a discussion with another guy and we always try and outdo each other with a story. And we'll usually start out, our, we just hear a story about somebody who's seen something and we usually start out our story how? 
Ah, oh, that's nothing. I once did dot, 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 and then we tell our story, right? We're trying to outdo the, the last guy. Uh, modern day folks will say, wait, hold my beer. <laughs> Watch, I'll do something that outdoes what you just saw. And this is the nature of humanity as we try and outdo one another. But Jesus shows another way. Jesus teaches us. He says, for the arrogant and the pompous and those who grasp at control amidst you, the way you serve them is by modeling meekness and humility. Don't try to match power to power. Don't go toe to toe with them. Instead, model and demonstrate what servanthood truly looks like. Well, as we come to the end of our time, this is a, a Sunday where uh, first Sunday of every month we share at the Lord's table together. And I think that last point is very significant for us to gather around the table together to break bread, to share the cup. Is recognizing that it's not those who are greatest among us, but those who are the least of these. We hold the bread. And Jesus reminded us that our way is the same as his way, the way of the cross. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Lord, we remember you. We remember your call to us as disciples that the way of the cross, the way that you lived, was not just for you alone, but that you call us to that same way of life. So in our remembrance, as we hold the bread, we remember that you laid down your life, you took up your cross, and you died upon the cross. You were buried and you resurrected, but you gave of yourself, your body, so that we could be whole. And likewise, your call to us is to lay down our lives, to deny ourselves and to follow you, to not make a life for ourselves, but to make a life with you. So we hold the bread and we remember that we are part of an upside down kingdom that is countercultural, not to make our something of ourselves, but to make much of you, Lord. We thank you for giving of your body. And in receiving the bread, we remember you and we remember that it is our call as well to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow you. Receive the bread. Lord, we hold the cup and we remember your blood shed for us, your blood that was given for us to cover over our sin, our way of rebellion against you, our way of trying to make a name for ourselves. And you call us, Lord, not to make much of ourselves, but to become who you're calling us to be. We thank you for your shed blood, which is our identity as beloved sons and daughters, forgiven, made whole and complete in you. We remember you as we receive the cup. We remember 
that you poured out your life. You gave yourself. You did not try to make a big name for yourself, but you followed the Father's path for you all the way to the cross, all the way to your blood poured out so that it would cover over our sins and that it would be acceptable to you. So likewise, we choose the way of the cross. We choose the way of the kingdom because it's your way for us. It is the way of freedom. We thank you for the cup and we remember you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you as you go out throughout the rest of this day, this week, this month, that as you pursue Jesus, that you are pursuing a way. I am pursuing a pathway of servanthood to those who are in the inner circle, who are close in. And we get a revelation of who Jesus is, not just for ourselves, but to serve others through that revelation. We are to serve those who are weak, not to condemn them, not to ridicule them, but to come alongside of them as Jesus did and to help them to see clearly who he is and how the kingdom works so that deliverance can come in their life. And we are come to serve those who and called to serve those who have pride and who want to be the greatest through power. Much like Jesus, we model for them the humility of the kingdom. We model that be process of becoming the least of these so that they can see that real power and true life comes through the way of the kingdom and not by trying to achieve much in this world. The Lord bless you as you walk out this pathway. You can do it as you submit to the Holy Spirit's leading and his empowering for your life. God bless you as you do it. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.